safe to say that it's on. Tell your neighbor, oh, it's on. You know, this coming week marks the return of football. Somebody say amen. Now, we, of course, you know, we, we love all sports, of course, but I think it's safe to say that, that we hold a special, special place in our Texas collective heart, particularly for high school football. High school football kind of strikes a chord that nothing else can touch, nothing else is like it. I think for those of us who maybe are a little bit older, there's a lot of nostalgia attached to it, but whatever your take on it, this coming week, people are going to lose their minds. I'm talking about grown-ups will be painting their face, putting on team colors, Little kids wearing the jerseys and the uniforms. Moms and dads parking their minivans and SUVs for pregame tailgates. Team stores will be open. Entire communities will shut down and roll up the sidewalks because football in Texas, particularly high school football, is back this coming Friday night. Now, it's a big deal kind of wherever you go. You, you can find high school football on ESPN from places like Ohio. But in Texas, high school football is a cultural phenomenon like no other. As a matter of fact, Buzz Bissinger is a New York born and bred author and journalist. He writes for Vanity Fair magazine. Buzz Bissinger came to Texas and literally wrote the book on high school football in Texas. He wrote the book that became the movie, that became the TV show, Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. And there is fascinating. A lot of you didn't even know that there was an actual book. Books are things that people used to read a long, long time ago. <laughs> but, but there was a book that was actually kind of just a, a chronicle and a documentary of high school football in Texas. And the reason I think that the television show resonated and connected with such a massive, massive audience. It was beyond just football. Friday Night Lights is more than just what happens between the white lines between two teams. You've got, you've got cheerleaders and, and booster squads and palm squads and, and, and all these things going on. You've got the, the former players who, who gather up and kind of evaluate the new crop and kind of, you know, measure how they would stack up back in the day. And, and all these things contribute to make Texas high school football, particularly Friday Night Lights, about one word. It's community. It's, it's community. It's when neighbors and, and friends who, who never really see each other, all of a sudden they're bound together in order to do everything that they can to cheer, to hope, to work 
to, to invest financially to help the home team win. It's, it's about community. That's why Friday Night Lights resonates so, so powerfully. I, I believe with everything I have that the deepest, deepest desire that God ever placed in the heart of humanity is that desire, that, that craving for community, for real connectedness with each other. That, that's just kind of really at the essence of what it means to be human. I, th I think that, that need, that, that capacity and the ability to connect with each other is one of the primary things that makes us human at all. We, we've got a, a capacity and, and an ability to connect with each other that nothing else in all of creation can really hold a candle to. And so that's why we're titling this series that we're kicking off today, Beyond Friday Night Lights. Because as awesome as high school football is, and it is, it is, it can be great. It can do a lot of good things for a community. As awesome as Friday Night Lights are, the reality is our soul-deep need and yearning for community and connectedness with each other is something so powerful that not even football can satisfy it. I hope that's not a shock or nobody passed out when I said that, but it's just the facts. And so that's why I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to make it a priority to be here in the room over the next few weeks as we dive deep into this idea of community, of going beyond Friday Night Lights for connecting in all of the ways that really matter most. And as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to do everything we can to, to entice you to be a part of it. Also, to encourage you to share it with somebody. Invite somebody you know who doesn't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. And, and so, as a matter of fact, next weekend, I'm bringing in some help for the sermon. I'm bringing, we're bringing in the big guns next weekend. If you're sitting on the end of your rows, you'll see some invitation cards are stacked up there. If you will, take like four or five of those and then just pass them down the row because next Sunday is going to be a major, major day in the life of Lake Hills Church. As I said, I'm bringing in some help. We thought when we had this idea for Beyond Friday Night Lights, it would be cool to invite Taylor Kitsch, who played Tim Riggins in the TV show to be a part of this series. So Taylor Kitsch is going to be in the room next Sunday morning at Lake Hills Church. You want to be here. Not only is Taylor Kitsch going to be here, his friend and ours, retired Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell is going to be a part of this conversation. I'm going to interview those two men on this stage next weekend as we talk about community as we talk about it. So I want to encourage you to be here. Also, man, invite somebody to be a part of what God's doing around here. This is a natural invitation. Listen, if you can't get somebody to come to church with you when Taylor Kitsch is coming, that's a you problem. So it's going to be here, but let me, let me make sure that you understand why we're doing this. I really believe that because of Taylor's experience on Friday Night Lights, Marcus's experience in the Navy SEALs. I believe that these two guys have a lot that they can show us and teach us to help us frame and focus this conversation about community as we go to God's Word to see what the Bible says about how we experience, how we live out community in a real and a powerful way. 
it's fascinating to me that at a time in human history when we have more tools and technology for connectivity at our disposal, we are more relationally disconnected and distracted, fragmented and fractured than we have ever been. It's really, it really kind of is just beyond description to understand just how far away we can be in this day and age from real community. I don't know if you know this, but even in England, the UK this year opened an office and has appointed a minister of loneliness. They identified so many of their British citizens as struggling and suffering from loneliness that they have opened up a government office to address the problem. The, the government has also opened up a telephone line called the Silver Line for elderly citizens of England just to have a phone number to call to have a conversation with someone. One recent conversation had a woman call and, and share with the trained responder on the other end of the phone line, today's my birthday. And, and the responder said, oh, Gladys, that's, that's wonderful. How's your day been? And they started a conversation. She said, now who are you going to celebrate it with? And there was silence on the other end of the phone. Gladys said, no one. As a matter of fact, this is the first conversation I've had with another person in two weeks. And Gladys is not alone. In the United States, we're struggling with real loneliness. The loneliest segment of our population, those between 18 and 22. The ones who, who are the heartbeat of the connected digital media world are actually struggling with loneliness more than any other segment of our population. And so this series is not just about, you know, reading some Bible verses and high-fiving each other on Sunday morning. This series is actually the antidote to one of the greatest ailments of our world. And you and I occupy that world. You and I understand that, that we can be lonely, surrounded by people. You know, for some reason over the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months or so, my wife Julie and I have had kind of a front row seat for a series of, of relationships and friendships that people were just struggling. I mean, really, really struggling. We, we've been, and I don't mean we've kind of heard about it and been praying about it from a distance. I mean, we've been intimately connected and engaged in a lot of these settings. We've, we've walked with parents who've lost a child. We, we've been a part of, of trying to come alongside and help people struggling with addiction and clinical depression, suicidal tendencies. We, we've, we've seen veterans struggling with PTSD, and, and on and on and on. And as we've kind of waded through this together, Julie and I were like, man, what is going on? Because there, there were so many different situations and circumstances that, that we were engaged in. We, there, there were different ages, different socioeconomic, different genders, different, different everything. But we did identify one common thread that united every one of those unique situations. That there was one commonality that linked them all together, and it was isolation. It was isolation. The people who struggled and hurt the most and the longest 
are those who are isolated, sometimes by, by their own choices and decisions that they've made. They've kind, of, they've kind of separated themselves from the people who love them and cared about them. But the bottom line is they weren't connected. And what we discovered is that healthy life, a healthy relationship with Christ requires real connectivity. It requires actual, genuine community. Now, obviously, we, we all need to have a number of acquaintances or colleagues, people that we kind of you know, have, a, have a how's the weather relationship with. That's, that's fine as far as it goes. But it's imperative that we understand what we're created for. It, it shouldn't come as a surprise that, that God has created us for more than just how's the weather, that, that he's called us to, he's equipped us for something greater, more profound, more, more poignant in our lives. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12 is going to be kind of our, our north star, our load star for this series. Because in Romans chapter 12, the Bible puts a really, really fine point on this idea of community and connectedness for individual members. Here's what God says in Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it. You belong. You belong. Now, this passage of Scripture, for, for some may be familiar, you may have never seen it before, but it's so profound because what this passage of Scripture does is it, it establishes the worth of the individual as a part of the whole. It, it says that we've all got a different role to play in this family of faith, in this body of Christ, and every single member of the body a member is a part of the body. There's the arm, the ear, the, the foot, the finger. All, all parts individually have honor. They are worthy of being included in the body of Christ. And at the same time, they are to be valued and esteemed individually. The, the foot is as valuable as the finger. The ear is as valuable as the rear. There are all these different parts. And yet... We are connected together absolutely for life itself. We're not codependent, but we are absolutely interdependent. We are as healthy as the next member of the body. If you've ever had like a broken leg, I've had two, you know. If you've got a broken leg, then the rest of your body can be just like completely healthy. But if you've got a broken leg, that, that's, that's what gets the attention. I mean, if, if the leg is broken, the rest of the body suffers. If your eye is not working, if, if, if there's pain in your eye or maybe you've got a, a crick in your neck. I woke up this week. I had a pain in the bottom of both shoulder blades that would have crippled a mule. 
It, it hurts so bad. And, and so, like, all day long, I was walking around. I wasn't my normally jacked self, and I was, people were like, Mac, how are you doing? I'm great. Because there was part of my body that wasn't healthy. It wasn't right. All of my body needed that part to work right. We need each other to be healthy, to be strong. And we need each other to be healthy and to be strong. We we require that. We are built, we are wired for community, for connectedness. And I want to give you just a a working definition of community that we're going to use throughout this series. Something just kind of as a baseline to make sure that we're all on the same page. Community is a group of people committed to each other and a cause greater than themselves. Community is a group of people committed to each other and a cause greater than themselves. And all of the components of that definition are required for community. Now, you can have acquaintances. You, you can have kind of, you know, how's the weather friendships, but a community is different. Biblically, community means that you are in it to win it. That the most powerful community that I'm a part of is my marriage. Julie and I, two people can be a community. We are committed to each other and a cause greater than ourselves. The Bible says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a great mystery. The greatest understatement in the entire Bible. (laughs) But it is describing our marriage. If you're married, your marriage is built and called by God to reflect the relationship between Jesus and the church. So the way I treat Julie is supposed to show people how Christ loves the church. The way Julie treats me is supposed to show people how the church loves and honors Christ. That's that's the cause greater than ourselves. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are married? Let me just see a show of hands if you're married in the house. Okay. Of those who are married, how many of you, let's say in the last six months, you've gotten on different pages with your spouse? Can I just see a show of hands? If you've been on different pages. Some of you men are cowards. You know why? Because you didn't raise your hand like, honey, I don't know what he's talking about. I can't even imagine being on different pages with you. Liars. In church, it happens. So when we get on different pages, let's say that hypothetically Julie and I got on different pages. We remember the the cause greater than ourselves we're committed to And so all of a sudden, getting back on the same page isn't just about us having a nice dinner and her kissing me goodnight exclusively. (laughs) It's also about the reputation of Jesus and the church. It's also about this is bigger than just the two of us. This is bigger even than how it affects our kids, Emily and Joe. This is is about the cause of Christ in the world. And it's kind of like, all right, here we go. Suck it up apologize. 
Julie. <laughs> I mean, it's imperative. <laughs> I, you know I'm kidding because that would mean she had made a mistake. <laughs> As if. But, it, but it's in those moments we have to recalibrate. And community will always, community amongst people will always require recalibration. It will happen. And we're going to talk about that throughout this series. How do you, when you've gotten on different pages, how do you get back on the same page? Now, when we say that the community requires a commitment, commitment to each other and to a cause greater than yourselves, commitment, man, that, that starts to get a little frightening. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times in our lives, rather than make that commitment, rather than going all in, we instead choose to settle for counterfeit community. We, we accept something less than what God has created us for because the fact of the matter is it is easier. Now, you don't have to raise your hands on this one, but how many of you know community is tough? Real community, real connectedness to another human being is hard work. And a lot of times we just... I mean, let me just say me, forget we for a second. I'll just tell you, sometimes I don't feel like it. There, there are times, I'm, man, as a, maybe a husband or a dad, even as a pastor, man, sometimes you're just like, I'm tired. I, I don't have it in me right now. How many of you in the last two weeks have received a call on your cell phone, seen the caller ID and went, no, can't do that right now? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. That's the laugh of recognition. Like, oh, no, that is not a short phone call. I'm not even talking about bill collectors. I'm just talking about people we know. But that counterfeit community, what, what, here's what I want to do. I want to just mention three types of counterfeit community for the purposes of, of putting them on the radar screen. Let, let's just be aware of these things. As we're, as we're going, the first type of counterfeit community is hydroplaning. Hydroplaning. That, that's that, that superficial kind of friendship or community. Hey, bud, love you, mean it. You know what I'm talking about. They're, they're those, those shallow, shallow end friends that we have. Now, it's okay to have a number of those kind of friends, those, that kind of community. That's great. There ought to be people that you just kind of see, hey, what's up? But if that's the basis, if that's the bulk of your community, if you're, the bulk of your community is your happy hour buddies, something's wrong. Something's, something's missing. And, and this is not a diatribe against happy hour. I'm talking about if that's it. That, that's, a, that's a dangerous sign. The thing about hydroplaning is hydroplaning has no accountability in it. You know, real community, real connectedness always requires accountability. To have those people in our lives who will tell us not only what we want to hear, but sometimes what we need to hear. Though those people who come alongside and go, hey, Mac, man, you're, you're built, you're called to more than this. You're, you're better than what you're Letting out. You, you, you've got more in you. Don't, don't settle for what you're doing. Those people who will call us out. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One person sharpens another. Iron sharpening iron. 
It's a beautiful image. A lot of t-shirts have been made over the years. Here's the thing about iron sharpening iron. It requires friction. Sparks fly when iron sharpens iron. You got to figure, iron doesn't have nerve endings, but if it did, probably would kind of hurt. It's kind of like, it's not as much fun. But it's required. So hydroplaning, that's one type of counterfeit community. A second type, this is great, oversharing. Oversharing. How many times do we see on social media people oversharing? It's one thing for me to share my heart and pour my heart out to Julie. It's another thing to pour my heart out to Facebook, Instagram. Now, here's the thing about oversharing. Oversharing is typically, typically indicative of somebody who doesn't have a close community they're a part of. If you've got healthy community, if you're a part of healthy relationships, you don't need to put out your deepest, darkest secrets on Facebook. So oversharing is one of those things that, that, can, that can really be a kind of a, a yellow leaning towards a red flag that says, whoa, if I'm, if I'm putting this out there, and, and, and it's, it's always a matter of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart. You know, I, I, a good friend of mine who lives in another state, his dog died this week. He put that out there. I get that. That's fine. But like, they're, they're just lines to be drawn. That's why we pray for wisdom and discernment. Healthy community keeps us from oversharing. The third one is digital. Digital community is counterfeit community. Now, it can be great as far as it goes, but understand that's as far as it goes. Our, our children kind of came of age with, with Facebook and cell phones and texting and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, I'll never forget the PowerPoint presentations that our daughter, daughter Emily presented to Julie and me the reasons why she should get a Facebook page. Fourth grade. She was in fourth grade doing PowerPoint presentations. Some of you that don't know us think I'm making this up just to be funny. I love you too much to lie to you. Fourth grade PowerPoint. Mom and Dad, I have a presentation for you. And I remember Julie and I having to teach, having to show Emily that social media can be a great tool and a great help, but make sure that you understand you never, say never, never, never do relationship digitally. Never have an argument by text. Say, why? Because it's stupid. You're a smart person. Smart people can do stupid things. Having an argument in text is dumb as dirt. Listen, let's say that hypothetically Julie and I got off kilter and we were on different pages. It is so hard for me as a guy to figure out, number one, what I did wrong. How many of you have ever had your spouse tell you, if I have to explain it to you, that's a bigger problem? That is, that is the exact opposite of helpful. I'm just telling you right now. But my point is this. That's a little aside, free of charge. My point is to recalibrate relationship requires investment. It takes eye contact. It takes tone of voice. 
Julie, my love. What did I do? I want to make it right. I don't know what it is. I will never do it again. See, you see that? As opposed to what's wrong with you. That's not going to go over so hot. So we never do relationship digitally. Anything that requires an explanation, a tone of voice, eye contact, at the very least, pick up the phone, let them hear your voice. But because digital relationship will mess up actual community. And we're created for more. We're, we're, we're created for so, so much more. You know, one of my favorite things that I get to do as a pastor is, is weddings. I love doing weddings. I enjoy it a lot. And it's fascinating to me with the, the expectations that the couple comes to wedding planning. You know, most couples, when they, you know, we start planning the wedding together, if they have a particular scripture that they want read, it'll usually, not always, but usually it'll be 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13. Or Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is God's essay on marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And that's great. I don't use either one of those. Now, if they, if they make me, I will. We really will. Okay, great. My preference for Scripture in a wedding is actually from the Old Testament. The Old Testament in Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Now, Ecclesiastes is, is Solomon's dissertation on the meaning of life and existentialism, in, in essence. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, there's this fascinating description of biblical community. It's Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. The Bible says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls. I pity the fool. And has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, if, if you've never seen that verse before, you, you could kind of amen it all the way down to the bottom and, and the end of that passage right there and go, man, two is better than one. Good return for the labor. You can help them if they fall down. You can defend each other. You can keep warm. Two is better than one. But then it gets to, and it shows a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And, and if, you're, if you're not careful, you, you might think that there's a typo in Scripture. Like, whoa, man, hey, Solomon, bro, two, and then you went to three, you're bad. But no, Solomon here is depicting covenant. The key to real community is covenant. Covenant relationship. Every relationship is two people, but covenant relationship is a cord of three strands, a cord of Three strands is not quickly broken because there are obviously person one and person two, but the third strand woven into that cord 
is the person of Jesus Christ. It is a three-party relationship. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is a relationship. And it is because of the inclusion of Jesus, the Son of the living God, that that three-corded strand is not quickly broken. It's because of covenant that relationships last and endure. It's because of covenant. Now, you know the word covenant. You, you may not use it very often, but, but if you ever talk about the Bible, if you pick up the Old Testament or the New Testament, the word testament actually means covenant. There's the Old Testament before Jesus was born, came to earth, died on the cross, was resurrected. That was the Old Covenant. Once Jesus came, once he was a human being living on this earth and he did go to the cross and he was executed and he did die and he was resurrected from the grave. Now there is a new covenant. It is a new relationship. It is a new day. This covenant relationship, this, this covenant community, the community of faith united in the covenant of faith. You know, it, it, I remember when Julie and I first started dating, when we, when we actually went exclusive, and you have the DTR conversation, define the relationship. I, man, I'll never forget it. Now, for us, it was a little bit different because we had known each other for seven years. So when we had that conversation, we kind of, you know, cut to the chase and, and I, I, I went for it. What I didn't know, the night that we had this conversation, Julie had known for two years prior that we were going to get married. Not that we would date, but that we were going to get married. And she didn't hear an audible voice from God, but she just had this, this leading, this sense, this awareness that it took me two years to catch up to. That pattern has persisted throughout our marriage. It's not that funny. But on the night that we DTR'd, defined the relationship, I'll never forget. Again, Julie known for two years this day was coming. And I said, you know, we were very involved in student ministry at our church in Houston. And I said, hey, man, a lot of people have been talking about our relationship, saying we should be dating. And we were like, no, we're here for the kids. I think we ought to give this a shot. I, I, think, I think this would be awesome. Here's what she said. She looked deeply into my eyes and she said, I'm not ready for a relationship. What? Now, for the record, she got over that. But in that moment, I, I still don't understand that. Two years prior to that, she said, I know who I'm going to marry. And when I finally opened the door and said, here we go, she was like, I'm not ready for a relationship. <laughs> I, I, every time I tell the story, it perplexes me more. <laughs> but in that moment... It, it, was, it was bottom line. It was in or out. Now, as I said, she got over whatever that nonsense was. 27 years later, two kids, one church, multiple dogs. 
She's in. But there was that point where we defined the covenant, the relationship. You see, all of this talk about community, about our our craving for connectedness, our longing to love and to be loved, it's real, but, but ultimately it is a shadow that is, is actually pointing us towards the real light of our deepest desire, our greatest need, which is community with God, which is, which is covenant relationship in Christ. That's our, our deepest longing. You think about how badly we long to connect to each other in relationship, in family, in, in, in real friends, in actual, authentic community, all of that is actually just a shadow of the ultimate relationship we were created for. Here's what blows my mind about God. God has always been. He, has, he had no beginning. He'll have no end. He is eternal. And what that means is, whatever you believe about God, what one of the cool things about a room like this or anybody who's watching online is that we've all got some expectations, some presuppositions, and, and some, some beliefs that are previously held when we come to this conversation. Whatever you believe about God, you need to begin with the assumption that God is relational. He's relational. A lot of people think that God is kind of this, this cosmic rule maker and then referee. And, and let me be quick to say he, he absolutely will judge all of us at some point. But even in his judgment, he is relational. God is love. That's who he is. That's, that's the essence of his character, of his nature. And so he's always been that way, even before humanity showed up, even before he created us for relationship with himself. He was relational, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one, one in three. It's an incredible truth and reality about the personality of God and honestly, it's one of those things, if anybody ever tells you they completely understand the Trinity, walk away. They're lying. There's no way that you and I as finite human beings can completely grasp the infinitude and the magnitude of who God is. But there are parts of him that we can just know that's true. And, and one day we will know as we are known and we will see not through a glass dimly, but crystal clear. But we're not there yet. And so God was relational before he ever created us, which means he didn't need us. Now, at first, that's kind of disconcerting. But, but play it out. If he didn't need us, and he made us anyway, that means he wants us. That means he desires you. And that blows my mind. Because I know how messed up I am. 
And yet, He created me. He created you because He desires to know you. To know and to be known by you. To love and to be loved by you. This is covenant with God. This is community with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's what you were created for. Don't settle for counterfeit. Only accept the best. I got one more story to tell you that the earlier service didn't get. It's too good. A few years ago, our family was in London. And, and we went, there was a place where we were one night, and they had a, they had, you know how some restaurants will have a sommelier who will help you with wine? This place had a cigar sommelier. That's my kind of place. I love that they paid a guy to help people pick out cigars. Anyway, so I'm learning. I don't know a lot. I'm not like cigar aficionado. But I asked him, I said, you know, we live in the States. What cigars that we can get would you recommend? He never skipped a beat. He said, I wouldn't. Smoke less, smoke the best. I live my life by that now. I praise the Lord for easing relations with the nation of Cuba. I'm not settling for less than the best with God. I'm not settling for less than the best with Julie. I'm not going to settle for less than the best in our church, the family of faith. This thing matters because there are people yet who you know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. Beyond Friday Night Lights is about a lot more than high school football. And I can't wait to explore it with you in the weeks ahead. But I can't help but wonder this morning if, if somebody here in the room has never experienced community with God. I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm talking about knowing God. Relating to him personally. That's what this whole thing's all about. And if you would like to, to start that, if you'd like to begin that experience, that relationship, we'd love to give you the opportunity. In just a moment, I'm, we're going to have a prayer. But if you're here today and you've never experienced relationship with God, community with God, we want to invite you to step into it, to respond to the grace initiative of Jesus Christ to respond to the forgiveness of your sins that's available in him. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? For just, just for a brief moment with nobody stirring. The Methodists have already beat us to Luby's today. Just in this moment, if you want to begin a relationship, just pray, just talk to God 
right where you are. It's relationship. It's community. Just silently, in your own words, say something like this to God from your heart to his. Just say, Jesus, I need you. You know my sin. I I confess it, all of it. And I accept the gift of your amazing grace, your forgiveness. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. And I choose to believe that you rose again for me. And so in this moment, right here and right now, in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I have. I pray in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, welcome to the community. Welcome to the family of faith. And as a family of faith, as a community, we want to help. We want to come alongside and and help at whatever pace works for you. And so I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you would, just fill out the Connect card that's in your program. It's right there in your hands. Just start to fill that out. You'll notice about halfway down there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you finish that, just tear it off at the perforation along the fold. And when we exit in just a second, you can just hand that to one of our ushers. Just put it in their hand, and that'll begin the process. And then second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head, because in raising your hand, you're making a physical statement about a spiritual commitment. Stamping this moment in your life and in the life of this church. And and for the record, this moment in your life and others like it, that's the whole reason we exist. And so as a family, as a community, we honor that and As you put your hands down, our family tradition is we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.